Good afternoon, San Antonio, and welcome to the Brad Belden Show. My guest today is uh, Mike Belden. Hello, Mike. Hello, Brad. How are you today? Terrific. So, Dad, what I wanted to do was uh, talk about the history of Belden Roofing Company. So I, I know Papa started in 1946. So can you walk us through why he started the business? So Dad was on General Patton's staff in World War II, and he was stationed in San Antonio before the war and after the war. We're Bostonians, uh, but mother and dad liked San Antonio, decided to stay here. And it was me, my two sisters, and mother and dad, and five of us against the world. And dad went into business with a silent partner, a company called AAA Roofing and Supply Company. Uh, Ten years later, that partnership broke up and uh, Belden Roofing and Supply Company became the family business. Uh, I joined dad uh, five years after that, and that's all I've ever done for the rest of my life. Now, early on, I did work when I started around 12 years old working in the office. Uh, so you started when you were 12. I started when I was 12. Marshall, McKenzie, and Brittany started when they were 12. Clearly, Papa didn't start when he was 12. Nope. He was 36. So when Nan and Papa came to San Antonio, the only family they knew were the Cheevers. How difficult do you think it was for Nan and Papa to get acclimated to San Antonio? Well, they, they'd lived here before dad went overseas. And so they had some, they knew some people already in San Antonio. They had the military community, which was here that they were familiar with. Um, but sure. I mean, they didn't have a relative within 2000 miles. So it was probably a little scary. So not, I mean, they, they left, as I understand the story was Nana told Papa after the war that she disliked or actually I think the word was hated the cold weather and said she was staying here in San Antonio and he could stay if he wanted. Is that really what happened? I don't think I heard it quite that way, but mother did have asthma. And at that time, San Antonio was a very dry climate. It changed over the years. And that was certainly one of the things that enticed them to San Antonio, but they liked the city. I mean, what's not to like San Antonio is a great place to live and to raise a family. So what, what made Papa and Nana start a roofing business? Dad met a guy named A.A. Shepard who told him that what San Antonio needed was a good roofing company. Now, what he meant by a good roofing company was a company to roof the groundswell of new homes that were being built. And so we started our business uh, roofing a bunch of small houses that were being built post-World War II. Uh, the business was more than just roofing, though. Dad had a lumber yard, and he, he had a bunch of builders that worked out of the yard, and he arranged their financing and uh, a lot of their supplies. And so he was really very much involved with home builders and the home building market. Uh, since then, we obviously are a whole different world from what we were doing then, but that's what got his start. So what do you think Nan and Papa would say? We're 77 years into the business. We have 78 team members who have provided over 20 years of service. 31 of those team members have provided over 30 years of service. And this year alone, three more members of the 30-year club. Next year, another member of the 30-year club. At the end of next year, 35 members over 30 years of service. What do you think Nana Papa would say to that? Wow. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah, really cool. I don't think any of us I don't think mother or dad nor myself ever envisioned that our company would grow to be who we are today. And, and what you I've always preached is, is what makes us different are our people. It's, we sell a commodity product. Anybody can install, uh, but it's our people that really make the difference. 
that and the fact that we operate with one big word, integrity. Every day we operate with integrity. As you and Pop have always said, do what you would want to do even if nobody was looking. So, so Dad, all the years you've been in this business, 60 plus. Actually, I remember coming here when I was four or five years old. We built this building in the late 60s. Tell me some of the funny stories uh, that you have of your 65 years in this business. Well, I think my favorite story was uh, back in the early years, um, dad had a bunch of, of guys that worked for him that uh, liked to celebrate on Friday nights. And uh, he got tired of being called down to the jail to bail these guys out. And he finally set up a charge account so that he, he didn't have to go down to take care of them. Yeah. And do you remember when we went to South Carolina and, and the crew got there and I asked them, what is that thing sticking out of the back of the bus? And Pablo said to me, sir, that's the bathroom. I said, the bathroom? We didn't buy a bus with a bathroom. He said, we improvise, sir. You remember that? <laughs> yeah. That was, that was uh, one of the really interesting things that we ever did, going to South Carolina for that job. It was after Hurricane Hugo. And uh, I was at a meeting in um, South Carolina on past presidents of National Roofing Contract Association and some other people who'd been very involved. And we had an executive director who was retiring. And uh, Weez and I made the trip out there. And on Friday night, uh, a fellow named Billy Fort, who at that time was president of the association, but also had a business in South Carolina, said, hey, there's this big job bidding Monday. He said, but I'm booked for a year. I couldn't do it. And Texas was still reeling from the 80s. And I got a big mouth. And I said, oh, we could do that. And everybody laughed about it. And then Saturday night, I said to Billy, I said, Billy, how serious are you about that job? He said, I'm serious as a heart attack. So we talked a little bit and we agreed to get together Sunday morning to have breakfast to talk about it a little more. And we decided after breakfast that we were going to bid this job. And so I called Brad and couldn't get through to him because he'd taken his phone off the hook for some reason. No, I anyway, I called, I called my son-in-law, Danny Kustoff, and Danny went over and woke Brad. And I told Brad, I said, Brad, you got to get to uh, Sumter, South Carolina. And Brad said, well, why am I going? And I said, well, we're bidding this big job. And so Brad had to fly to Atlanta. From Atlanta, he flew to Columbia, South Carolina. Columbia, he rented a car and drove to Sumter. Which Got is there out about, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, middle of nowhere is true. Got there about six o'clock in the evening, and he had a set of blueprints for this job, and he took the blueprints off. He faxed the information back to us. We ran it through our estimating system. And Monday noon, we were 1.5% low on a $2 million job, which was the biggest job we'd ever seen. And, um, gosh, then we had to decide what to do and how to do it, and um, – we learned how to travel. Well, we got there. Carolina, there were not a lot of Hispanics in Carolina at that time. It was black and white, and most of the workforce was black. And uh, we showed up with 35 Hispanics, and they looked at us like we were men from Mars. Really didn't want anything to do with us, but by the time our guys left that little town in South Carolina, everybody in town was eating tacos and beans. Yeah, we actually made a kitchen out there. And made breakfast and lunch every day for everybody. That was quite a treat. And when we left town, I think they were upset that we were leaving town. 
but that's how we learned to travel. And, and we subsequent to that have done a lot of traveling for a lot of different reasons, but the federal work, private work, but traveling is a lot of what we continue to do this day, all triggered off that one job. So today we have 45 license. We are registered or licensed in 45 States and Puerto Rico and the States that we're not registered in and we're not registered for a reason. Um, and that allows us to do uh, about a third of our work outside the state of Texas so that our team members aren't dependent on one economy or another. What are, what are your thoughts on how that's transpired over the last 35 years? Well, it's, it's, I mean, I believe that bus- that all businesses have to find a niche. Now, that niche changes over the years, but, but our niche right now is doing traveling for major companies around the country working for Rivi Consultants. Uh, we've had other niches. We did federal work where we traveled a lot around the country, we worked on bases all around the East Coast and down through Florida and across the Gulf. Uh, we've done a lot of work in hurricanes, and a lot of the work we do in hurricanes today is because we have friends in various places where hurricanes hit and they can't handle the work, and there's just too much work at one time, and they'll call us. They know we can deliver, and so we know how to travel. We know how to get it done, and so when we get a call, we ride. So let's talk about that. The reason that we have so many friends across the country is because of your involvement in NRCA, the National Roofing Contractors Association, and you being past president. Give us some some of your experiences leading that organization and where it is today. Well, uh, mom always says that before I got involved with NRCA, I was a roofer. And after I got involved with NRCA, I became a roofing contractor. So there's a certain professionalism and got it got to know a lot of people who were really, really smart operators, smart businessmen, and and really increased my respect for the industry that I'm in, made friends from across the country. And one of the most interesting things we did was three other guys and I formed a peer group. And we did this for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years. And we would meet four times a year. We would bring all of our paper. We'd bring all of our information. We'd share all of our numbers, all of our problems, uh, and really had a wonderful time. In addition to that, we all played golf. So we'd work half the time and play golf half the time and had some really, really wonderful times uh, with that group. Sadly, one of the four passed away a few years ago, and the other two and I occasionally have a chance to say hi and get together. But that was probably one of the highlights. Um, mom, I think the said, other th- mom said, though, y'all drank wine played golf and worked in that specific order. Well, uh, that's probably not an unfair comment. <laughs> I, I think the other thing that, that stands out to me over, over the last 60 plus years was that in on February 15th, 1963, uh, we were in a building on Almas Drive that looked pretty decent from the front, but really was a pretty bad building that we were renting. And a guy walked in off the street and said, hey, do you know you're on fire? And sure enough, our warehouse was attached to the offices. So you opened a door in the back of the office and you were in the warehouse and opened that door and that warehouse was in full bloom. And that was Friday evening, um, burned to the ground, headlines in both newspapers. Um, Saturday, we started looking for a place to relocate. And it just so happened that Weedle Lumber Company had recently vacated a place downtown and built a new place on the north side of town. Which they're still at today. Yeah, they're still in that location today. 
And anyway, uh, we made a deal with a, with a realtor. I can't remember what happened yesterday, but I can tell that realtor's name was Carlos Sanchez. And he put together a deal Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon. It's all day Sunday, actually. The Guido family and the Belden family were down there cleaning up this place and making it habitable. And Monday morning, we were in business. We had everything we needed except for phone service. And so the only thing we could do with phone service was my kid sister lived out on the north side of town. They were able to route our phone calls to her and she would send delivery messages to back to us and we'd send them back to her for the reply to the customers. And that went on for a few days until we finally got phone service. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and we that, were there for five years. We thought we'd just be there a year or two. We were there for five years. And in 1968, we built the building that we're in today and uh, never thought we could have grown the business as much as we have. Now we've, we've added a, a, several buildings on the property. We have remodeled, I don't know how many times we've bought property across the street and next door to us. And when we came over here, we had about 35 employees and we have well over 200 today. Pretty close to 200 today. And uh, along with a lot of subcontractors and uh, never would have dreamt that this building could service. And one of the reasons it can is we do so much work out of town. That, that helps a lot in terms of congestion. So if you think about fifth, February 15th of this year was 50 years ago that we had that fire. And we've been in this building now 45 years. And yeah, 45 years. And so when, when you started here, we had the Ann building, which was, I think it's 60 years, 60 years. I'm sorry. We had the Ann building, uh, which uh, was the remodeling showroom. And in the late nineties, you decided you saw an ad for a gutter cover that you thought was a gutter cover. Didn't really know much about it. And um, can you tell us what happened after you saw that ad? Well, I'd, for years, I'd had people ask me what to do about leaves in their gutters, and I really didn't have an answer. I knew screens didn't work. And, and they saw, still don't work either, right? right? <laughs> and I saw Nothing's an, changed in 25 years. That's right. And I saw an ad in a trade magazine about a product called LeafGuard, and it looked interesting. And it, so I asked them to send me a sample, and I didn't know what to do with the sample. I didn't know what was up and what was down. I'd never seen anything quite like it. And it just turned out that company is headquartered in New Jersey and we were going to New Jersey for a wedding. Uh, actually my younger daughter's kid sister and sorority was getting married and we were going up for the wedding. And it was very close to where Angord who had the leaf guard product was located. And so uh, mom and I and Jen and James went and visited Angord leaf guard. Wait, you forgot somebody. Who'd I forget? Didn't you take Sammy with you? And well, that's, you a whole, to that's, a that's a different story. Oh, okay. I that's thought she was that's with a you. Different trip. Okay. Uh, but anyway, we decided to take the product on and we did. And we, um, we, we started operating with it. And I said, after a while, I said, my goodness, this product's better than ever dreamt. And I called them and said, Hey, I'd, I'd like to do a little more with this product. Talk to me about it. And uh, one thing led to another, and we ultimately ended up with about 17 franchises across the country. And within the last four or five years, we have sold all those franchises except one. And so we still not operate LeafGuard in San Antonio, but nowhere else in the country. And, and that has changed everything that we do with those 17 locations. That was a lot of travel for both of us. Yeah, a lot of travel. And I'm going to tell you, 
It's hard. Having, having operations across the country is, is, is not for the faint of heart. Remember I had a lot of hair back then. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, tell me why you told me once when we were struggling back in the eighties, uh, and you were making a donation and, uh, we, we were having a difficult time just making payroll. And I remember this is, you know, I've only been back for a year or so. And, and I said to you, dad, we, we can't afford to, to continue making this donation. And to this day, 35 years later, I still remember you saying, if not us, who? So tell me, why is it so important to you and mom to continuously give back in spite of economic conditions, in spite of anything going on in your lives? Why is it so important to you and mom to always give back? We have been blessed beyond measure. I never would have dreamt that we would have a big family. I never dreamt that we would have a big business. I've never dreamt that we would be relatively successful. But with that success comes an obligation. And we all have an obligation to help those less fortunate than us. And we truly enjoy having the opportunity to help others and to do things and to create scholarships and help organizations like the Food Bank and Haven for Hope and many, many, many others, but they are so important to people less fortunate than us, and we're just lucky to be able to do it. There but for the grace of God go I. And, and, and I think that tradition has continued through all your grandkids, and, and I hope that your great-grandkids and those grandkids will also continue that. It's, it's important to both Susan and myself and our kids and my siblings and their kids. So, Dad, tell us about um, what makes what what you think makes Belden different than other roofing companies. Well, we don't see ourselves as strictly a roofing company. We see ourselves as a major employer in San Antonio, and with that, all the obligations that entails. So we not only try to give away a lot of money and help those less fortunate, but we also believe in being involved. And so that's part of the culture of our whole company is involvement in the community. We try to make it a really good workplace, a place where people feel valued, where people can, can earn a good living and where they can find a place that treats them fairly. We, we believe we have a responsibility to three different publics. We have a responsibility to our employees. We have a responsibility to our customers. We also have a responsibility to our suppliers. And with all of those publics, we treat them each with respect and with integrity. And we don't play games with any of them. Look, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. When we make mistakes, we fix it. But we don't play games with suppliers. We don't promise them checks in the mail when it's not. We don't do any of that sort of thing. If you make a deal with us, the deal's the deal. We'll bargain hard, but when we make a deal, that's the deal. And we'll honor our word, whatever that is. So, Dad, you've been retired like, I don't know, half a dozen times. I think you've collected four or five watches, a pair of boots. I don't know how many YBR shirts, uh, but you keep coming back. What is it that you, what is it that keeps you from wanting to retire? I mean, I see it. I see the smile on your face when you show up here. I, I uh, accept all 12 of your phone calls every single day. I get 42 emails from you on a daily basis. Why is it that you want, 
what is in in that blood? Because I feel it too. Man, maybe I don't do as good of a job at expressing it. Why do you think? What do you think? What was that curse that Papa gave us that we want to work until we're six feet under? Well, amongst the other things I advise my grandchildren, they get a lot of advice from me. Is oh, we all get a lot of advice from? Me. Is pick a career that every day when you get up, you're going to want to do it. And I, I fell into the family business. I mean, I never thought I'd do anything else, which I didn't. Well, you sold shoes. Oh yeah, for two years. Two years in high school, I sold women's shoes, and that was a whole different story. I you didn't make that. any money at that. Oh, I did make money at that. I was a good salesman. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so you got to get up and like what you do, and and I always liked what I did um, through the good times and the bad. I liked what I did, and it's in my blood. It's who I am. I love being here because I like the people, and I just—I mean, this business, this business defines me. It's who I am. And that's just what it is when it's a family business. It's all you've ever done. Your identity is in many ways that business. And so I still enjoy it. I still like being here. I still like talking to all the people. And I love seeing the activity going on. And uh, for the most part, it's usually a happy place as well. So the minute you walked in here today, the first thing you said was, how many leads did we get? It rained a lot yesterday. How active is it, right? I mean, you know the questions to ask. You know the impact that weather has on our business. It seems like uh, you still know more about this business than all of us combined. Well, I think I have a little history in it, but but those 12 phone calls a day and 24 emails, uh, incidentally, those cut both ways. <laughs> I get as many from you as you get from me. So the really nice but part mine about Mine aren't business-related. Okay. Huh? Mine aren't business. They're usually sports-related. Oh, baloney. Uh <laughs> One of the one of the things that that Brad and I have both been very lucky about is that we really like working together, and we still like working together. We kind of see the world the same way, um, and uh, to this day, uh, we don't find major disagreements in business. We'll do little things that will irritate each other, but we both have the same view of what this business is and where it ought to be going, and and what's the right thing to do, and what's the right strategy, and what's the right call to make in a given situation. And I guess that Brad and I agree 90% of the time on any of the big issues, anything we disagree on is usually a pretty small issue. Well, and, and a hundred percent of that time you're wrong. So we both agree to that, right? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> so one of the things that we both enjoy outside of work are sports and both of us take great pleasure in playing the game and learning from the game. When you take learning from the game and taking those those tools that you learn from sports, how have you applied those over your career in the business world and the lessons that you learn from being a sports fanatic? I think two things. I think, first of all, whether it's a business, whether it's a sports team, whether it's a university, whatever it is, the key to any success is leadership. And that's certainly true in sports. Leadership is key. The second thing from sports that I think is, is what we see here too is teamwork. Teamwork's everything. Teams don't win unless you have teamwork. And uh, I think we try to do that uh, every day. Uh, look, it's not easy. Uh, teams are hard to, hard to build. Uh, you have people who have whole different approaches. Our salesmen have one view. Our production people have another view. And there's naturally a little friction there. But they both believe they're on the same team. 
And so it's kind of like uh, the Cowboys, uh, when the offense is doing well and the defense is not doing well or vice versa, they don't blame each other. They realize the whole they're all in there together and they win or lose as a team. And sports teams win or lose as a team and we win or lose as a team. Don't you think that last night's victory my, by Miami also exemplifies what you're talking about on teamwork, that you have an underdog that nobody expected to win, had overcome – probably one of the greatest shots in NBA history uh, two nights before. And yet they came out complete underdogs, only the second eighth seed. And, and I think that if you take Pat Riley uh, and his influence on that entire organization as the leader that he's been, he's built quite a, a, a leadership team, an incredible team of leaders. And don't you think that that has something to do with their success as well? No question. And if you read a little about them, you're going to find out that they have the highest number of undrafted players of any team in the NBA. They find people that fit their culture. They find people that have a particular need that they think fits their team. They have a terrific coach, one of the two great coaches really in basketball together today, Spolster and Pop. And, uh, and it shows. No, Riley. Spolster well, Riley's not their coach anymore. Spolster's, no, but I mean, well, Riley built the organization. Yeah. I mean, Spolster has been their coach for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And he's probably one of the only two untouchable coaches in the NBA. The other one being Popovich. They're both so successful and they have, they've built a culture in their teams and it shows. And the Spurs success is no accident. Miami's success is no accident. Good people, good players, good teamwork, great leadership those all signal some level of success. And don't you think that blocking and tackling uh, and, and learning how to change on a dime uh, also plays into those leadership skills? Absolutely. And, and blocking and tackling is what we do every day. I mean, every day you got to do your job. Everybody has a role to play and, and you've got to do it right every single day. And if you don't do your job right, then it makes it really hard for the guy next to you to do their job right. Yeah, and I think that um, what you found yesterday, uh, the biggest uh, point spread victory, I think, in a game seven for a road team ever, uh, they switched to a zone. So they changed everything that they were doing because of what I think that they learned from what they did yesterday, what they did wrong, and they altered it, and the Celtics didn't change. And I think that's what we have to do on a daily basis. In well, business. in all fairness, too, the fact that Tatum twisted his ankle so badly on the very first play of the game certainly played into the, the Celtics' ability to, to be up to their best game last night. But still, you got to be able to deal with that. And uh, Miami was missing one of their top players for this whole series. So, yeah, I, I think that you know Tatum's probably the – third or fourth or fifth best player in the game. And when he goes down, it affects them a lot. And they didn't, they didn't respond to that or react to that. Well, and, and, and it showed, and, yeah. uh, and, and it's, I think it's going to be a, a great uh, finals and, um, and it was, it was really exciting. So um, tell me you've been here since 19, we were born here in 19. No, you moved here in 1946. Uh, so you've, you've seen San Antonio grow. You were, we're over what, 2 million in the MSA. What's your crystal ball on, on San Antonio and Austin and the 
the the thought of a Metroplex growing over the years? I don't think there's any question, but that that's the uh, San Antonio Austin corridor is going to become somewhat similar to the Dallas Fort Worth corridor. Uh, we're a little spread a little further apart than they are. Um, but San Antonio is never going to compete with Austin because they have certain assets that we don't have. I mean, that big university up there is special and Dell moving there and attracting all those other tech companies. So Austin has their place in the world, but we also have ours. We have a great city to live in. We have a much easier quality of life than Austin does. Better cost of living, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely better cost of living. Less traffic. I mean, Austin's traffic is not only bad, it's terrible. But they have a great city with a lot of wonderful things going on, and, and they're doing a great job with it. And so what we're learning to do is to be cooperative with Austin and not try to be Austin. And I think it's working better for both of our cities in doing that. And I think we'll continue to see that growth along the corridor, New Braunfels and San Marcos. Um, I mean, those cities are just booming and those used to be just little bitty cities. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about the corridor, but I'm also about excited about San Antonio. This is just a great place to live and more and more people are figuring that out. And so our big obstacle is jobs. We have to have enough jobs to good jobs, good paying jobs starts with education and we're doing a better job on that than ever, although nowhere nearly as good as it needs to be. Uh, but we're moving forward in the city. Everybody in town seems to understand that our, our big problem in San Antonio is poverty and we're working really hard to overcome it. And education is the key to that. And so we, we in our own way are also trying to contribute to improving the education environment in San Antonio. So do you want to talk about what you and mom are doing about that? Well, we've, uh, we've, we've uh, been involved in setting up uh, some endowments at uh, UTSA and have just done one at the Alamo Colleges. And I've been involved. Uh, I've been on the Alamo Colleges Foundation Board for a number of years, chaired it for about six years. Um, we're both involved there. We're involved in the medical center. We're, we're involved in a lot of things that deal with education and healthcare in San Antonio. The other thing that, that we didn't talk about was what mom said almost got y'all divorced was when you decided to run for public office. Well, Can you she, tell us about your nine years on the Edwards Aquifer Authority? Well, it actually started back in the early eighties before the great depression hit Texas. And I came home one day and told mom, I decided I wanted to run for public office. I just didn't know what. And she just looked at me and she said, well, you can't afford it. And I said, well, why can I not afford it? She said, well, you can't afford a campaign and a divorce in the same year. <laughs> so much for my political career. Well, in uh, 1995, January of 1995, I had just finished a term as chairman of the Greater Chamber of Commerce. And there was legislation being uh, working its way through the legislature to form a regional water authority and a fellow named Jack Willamy, uh, who had been uh, head of Ray Olson Homes, said to me, hey, you're going to have a lot of free time on your hands now that you're that was That, that was retirement number what, four or something yeah. like that. And he said, would you be willing to serve on the Edwards Aquifer Authority? And I said, well, yeah, for a year. That doesn't sound like a bad thing to do. I kind of decide what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. 
Well, that year turned into eight years, and I chaired that authority the entire eight years, and it was really a wonderful experience. Uh, we put in place rules that uh, were fair to everybody and got rid of a lot of the acrimony that that's, was around water in this area. And San Antonio is now really, really well-placed water-wise. Uh, we learned to deal with the new rules, and we've had great leadership from the San Antonio water system. We have a great water portfolio. We, we have the aquifer. We have something called the Aquifer Storage uh, and Recovery Act where we store excess water. San Antonio does at times have excess water. And so rather than just let it go away, we store it. Uh, we also did a major water project a few years ago from the Bastrop area. Um, and so we have a varied water portfolio. And I think we're as well positioned as about anybody can be in an area that has the level of rainfall that we do. And I, I'm not sure many people truly understand the value of that hard work of what there were 15 members of the board. Yeah. Uh, and, and what they did, I think for not only for our area of the state, but for the state as a whole. And uh, had y'all not been successful in pulling that off, I think we'd still be fighting water issues today. You know, years and years and years ago, I got to know a man named Harry Freeman. Most of you have heard of the Freeman Coliseum. And I, I didn't get to know Mr. Harry until well into his year, later years. And I used to go visit him on Saturday mornings. And he had an office in a motel on Broadway. And I went over there one Saturday morning. and It was raining cats and dogs. And I said, Mr. Harry, when do we get too much rain? And he said, son, there is no such thing as too much rain. It took me years to understand the wisdom of what he said to me that day. Yeah. We haven't worked much in the last 45 days in the roofing business and everybody keeps asking me, you know, what's going on. And, and, uh, I tell them that when we get to June and July and it's a hundred, 105 degrees, you're going to say we need rain. And I'm going to remind you of the 45 days we went where we weren't able to work because of the rain. Yeah, we so, have 27 inches of rain already this yeah, year, more rain this year than we had all of last year. And we're not even through May. Well, Dad, thanks for stopping by today for the inaugural Brad Belden show, where uh, we're excited to, to kick off this show. And, and we remind everybody together, we can make a difference one day at a time, one person at a time. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks.